worship as well. Um, I am absolutely stoked to be able to share the message with um, all of you this morning. And it's, it's special because um, God, I've always known about this scripture and um, God has always, I know, wanted me to teach the scripture. And I was always been looking for, you know, opportunities with the young adults or with the youth to share it with them. And it was kind of in this last week when um, the Lord re-put this on my heart uh, to be able to share. And then just with the, the situation of um, God just handed me the opportunity and it's, it's a gift for me to be able to share uh, this portion of scripture with you. So I am absolutely excited. I pray that uh, this message comes from our, our sword, living and active, and the words of God just changes us and pierces our hearts. So I'm really excited. I, I want to go ahead and pray for uh, that you just receive this message from the Lord. God, I just pray for those who are here who made the effort to come, even if they had 10 hurdles that they had to jump through and five hoops to go through. Um, Lord, they made it. And I want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, for giving us a message through your word. But Lord, help it to be received with care, properly and protected. And that, Lord, we open up our hearts to receive it. God, we just thank you so much. And in your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Love it. You guys can go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'm going to be sharing with you the story of the great and honorable warrior named Naaman and how he was healed from his leprosy. Now, yesterday for me was, was kind of a crazy day, just getting a lot of stuff ready for the high school event and cleaning up from the young adult group on Friday. Um, but yesterday was a really important day in remembrance of the things that happened 20 years prior. And there were some certain times in the day when I just had to stop and I wanted to personally remember um, just the tragedy that took place on, on 9-11. Uh, now, when, when those attacks happened 20 years ago from yesterday, um, I was in first grade, and, you know, I could only comprehend so far what was going on. But as I got older, I, I obviously, you know, realized more and more of the tragedy of the events that took place and watching documentaries, listening to people's testimonies. And then it was in 2019 when my dad, he brought our family to New York City. And uh, he told you guys last week, but he was there kind of right after the attacks and he was there doing some ministry. And so he was able to kind of give a perspective that you couldn't get just by being there. Because when you go to the One World Trade Center today, where the um, nearby where the two towers stood, um, they have a, a, f a lovely fountain, and they have a memorial, and it's obviously all cleaned up. And you really couldn't tell that the tragedy happened just by looking at it on the outside. But there's something deeper that took place, and we know that 20 years ago. And they have a memorial where it's actually in the basement of the One World Trade Center. And it's amazing. It's spectacular. If you ever go to New York City, I, I very much, like, top of the list, recommend going to this memorial. And you walk through... And it's just three, four hours of just silence. As you just walk through, you see the steel beams that were bent. You see even they have a room with, with pictures of all the people who passed away. About 3,000 people in total. And it's, 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 it's really incredible to me to even know about 
the stories about the firefighters and the policemen and the, the paramedics, even security officers, even the random people on Flight 93 that decided to storm the cockpit because they didn't know if they were going to save hundreds of people's lives who they didn't even know. I mean, these are the American heroes that we are talking about. And my heart was stirred yesterday to just say, like, thank you to those people. And thank you to you, too. If, if you are a paramedic or you're a firefighter, police officer, nurse, doctor, anything that is out there protecting and serving and healing people, I just want to thank you. And I think our church passes. Yeah, I thank you to you. Yes, yes. So thank you. But there's still something ab- about it that, you know, we can rebuild, but we can't necessarily heal what was taken from us. Like, we can't replace the people who we lost. We can't replace a firefighter. We can't replace a dad. Some things are just irreplaceable. And what really has been going through my heart is healing. We need healing as a nation. We have these hurts. We have these scars. And my goodness, even this year with COVID, with the hurricanes and the variant and the wildfires, I mean, you look to your left, you look to your right, like our nation in a way is hurting. We're hurting and we are in need of some healing. And though we can rebuild, that's just the stuff you can kind of see on the outside. And we know that there's a deeper need that takes place. And I've been, I've been a youth pastor for a few years, and I've had the privilege of speaking to youth who, um, they also have hurts. They also have hurts going on in their heart. And I'm thankful that Jesus has answers to it. And I, I was able to share with the young adults on Friday night um, in Revelation chapter 22. By the way, in heaven, there's going to be no, no crying, no tears, no remembrance of the things of old. There's going to be none of that. All things are going to be, be made new when we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be amazing. But there's going to be this tree, and it's called the tree of life. And it's going to be there on two sides of the river that flows from the, the throne room of Jesus where he's at. And it says that the leaves are going to be used for the healing of the nations. And all I keep thinking is, uh, I know our nation is hurting. And I know we're hurting. And I cannot wait for that day. When we are completely healed, completely healed by Jesus in that tree of life. And I am so excited for that day. But we're here on earth, you know, and, and hurt happens. And the thing that we get really good at doing is hiding or covering up our hurt by just making it look like we have nothing underneath that needs to be taken care of. And I've learned as a pastor that even though youth, they come in or young adults come in and they look awesome. They, they, they look like they have it all together. You scroll through their social media posts and it's the best of the best of the best of their life. But you know that the, we're, we're hurting. We're hurting in these deeper ways that we can't just cover up and, and leave ourselves really to die in the true disease that we have. And I want to bring you guys through, this is what the Lord put on my heart. I want to bring you guys through the story of Naaman and the Old Testament. And so we're not going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to fly back to 2 Kings chapter 1, um, I'm sorry, chapter 5. And we are going to start reading in verse 1. Nice. Okay, so let's read in verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. So we're introduced to this guy named Naaman. And Naaman, he's not the king of Israel. He's not a prophet. But rather, Naaman is an enemy Gentile commander of the 
nation of Syria. Now, Syria was not the nice next-door neighbor to Israel. Syria would often make raids against the Israelite people, and they were very victorious in doing so. And part of the reason why Syria was so successful is because they had a great and honorable commander of the army, Naaman. And Naaman is clearly defined as a great and honorable man. That was what he wore on the outside. That was his status. And he even said that he was a great and honorable man in the eyes on the outside of his master. He was described as a mighty man of valor. And that title is only usually given to David or Gideon or Jonathan in the Bible. Like Naaman was the man. Fantasy football, number one draft pick. Like he's going to go out and get you 42 pick points every single week. He was a superhero. And so many of, I'm sure like young boys just wanted to be like Naaman because he was a great and honorable man. And this defining of his life comes by his victories, it comes by his status, and it comes by his statistics. And you wouldn't know it just by looking at him, because when you would look at him on the outside, he was a great and honorable man, and I'm sure he had a really shiny armor that he would wear every time he went into battle. But at the end of the verse, I hope you caught it, it says, but he was a leper. Naaman was a great and honorable man, but underneath the armor was something else. It was leprosy. Now, leprosy is a skin disease that will sl slowly start to eat away, not just at your skin, but also your organs as well. And so for Naaman, he did have a deadly disease, but at this point in time, it wasn't necessarily deadly. Like he could still go out and fight the battles and whatnot. But the other thing that leprosy does is it totally, totally wrecks havoc on your social life. We know this from, from Jewish life. If a Jew had leprosy back in the day, uh, basically it was you are an outcast, you don't exist in the family, you go to this small little room where you live, and if you walk by somebody and you're within 150 feet of them, you basically have to scream all your dysfunctions and everything that's wrong with you, and that's the first thing that people know about you even before knowing your name. And so we know that it wrecks havoc on their social life. And if, if the great and honorable man, the great honorable man, if any part, if his dysfunction showed, then there was a danger of everything that he had worked hard for now crumbling down. And I think that we also have something underneath our armor in a way. And I think we get, I think we even get really good at coming to church with like what, what we want to show people on the outside, but I think we have to have the realization that there's, there's deeper needs that we still have on the inside. And I think Naaman comes with a warning because I do believe that Naaman represents when we celebrate somebody's victories at the cost of their vulnerabilities. We live in a filter-friendly world where it's not about really our vulnerabilities, but it's about what we want to, what we want people to believe about our life that maybe not is true. We have the perfect lighting, we have the perfect photo, we have the perfect thing that shows, you know, everything that we want everybody to believe. And we have to be really careful when, when, when believing and placing other people on a pedestal, believing that their life is, is perfect because just of a snapshot of their life. And I know that I mean, I've experienced it where you watch a 15-second video and all of a sudden you're jealous the whole day. 
Like you're looking at your life and like, man, my life isn't like this. And it, it can really wreak havoc on what you believe. And so we have to be careful what we believe. We walk by the, the grocery store and there's a magazine of a model and we think, man, I guess that's what true beauty looks like. But you don't know what's underneath the armor. You don't know that that, that model has been photoshopped. You don't know that that model has not eaten for three days. And you're convinced that that is the, the, the definition of beauty. And because you don't have that, then God hasn't made you special or God hasn't made you beautiful. And see, so we place people on a pedestal just because we get a snapshot of their life. And I'm telling you, we have to be careful because name it, great and honorable man, like I'm telling you. And I think if you would have walked by him, you would have been like, that's who I want to be like. That's, that's the life I want to live. But underneath was something that we don't, you know, we don't quite see. And so Naaman, great and honorable man, awesome. Let's go ahead and read his story in verse 2 because this isn't going to be the story about his accolading his success. This is going to be a story of how he got healing in the place he actually needed healing. Okay, verse 2. It says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids, and they had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So the Syrians would occasionally raid, actually often raid the the Israelites, and um, they would bring back slaves as captive. And in this particular uh, situation, they brought back a young girl to be the slave of Naaman's wife. Now, I think it's interesting because this slave girl really has the faith to speak up. You know, she knows that there's more to Naaman than just a great and honorable man, but he's dying from this disease. And I think really chill, she's like, oh yeah, if only, if only you would go and see the prophet who is in Israel, you would be healed. And you know, like, easy, like, Google it, you know, it's, it's YouTube, like, easy, come on. And I think, um, you know, we, I do this a lot in my heart, like, I ache for people, I'm like, I, only they knew Jesus, you know? You ever say that in your heart? If only they knew Jesus. Like, they would have hope. And I'm sure Naaman, like, tried everything. And, and for, for her to say this, you know, it, it, he, he could have taken this the wrong way because it could have been, like, our prophets are better than your prophets kind of a deal. And so, like, go over to where I came from. But nonetheless, um, Naaman, he takes the step of faith. And so let's read what happens. Verse 4. It says, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when the letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Now, Naaman, I'm sure, I'm sure he's tried everything. Every doctor, every prophet, every YouTube video, every essential oil, lavender even, and nothing was working. And this was threatening not just his status as a great and honorable man, but this disease was literally eating away his organs in his life. And so what Naaman did is he went and told his master what the girl had said. And 
This is spectacular because this didn't happen a lot. For a great and honorable man to take the advice of a foreign slave girl, that takes a little bit of humility to be able to do. And I will give Naaman, I will, I will say we can learn from Naaman in this way, of sometimes God uses people who are closest to you, people who you would not expect to bless you, and people who you even think have no business giving you wisdom. And I, I know I, I can relate to this sometimes because um, sometimes I'll go to my wife and I'll say, oh my gosh, I just had like this epiphany that like the, the Lord just, he used this other person to show me something and it was in the Greek word of this and all that. And my wife is like, well, I've been trying to tell you that for a year now. <laughs> like sometimes God, he's been trying to use the people in your life who are closest to you first to give you a message. But sometimes it, it, it takes somebody else. And I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad Naaman listened to the little girl. I mean, for a great and honorable man to listen to just a little, little girl, he was on his first step to healing. You know, as a youth pastor, sometimes I, I talk with parents and parents will bring their youth and they'll be like, they'll be like, listen, my, my youth is really struggling. They're, they're dealing with A, B, and C. And I've been trying to get through to them but they don't they stop listening to me and i think they'll listen to you so maybe like your next sermon series you can you know you can do this and my heart breaks over that phrase they stopped listening to me i feel like saying youth like listen like god has put somebody in your life and and i'm just a youth pastor I'll, I'll buy you pizza. I'll go out and play a game. I'll give you a 30-minute message. But your parents, like, they're the ones feeding you. They're the ones, I ain't paying for your braces. Like, I'm not doing this. It's you. Like, and, and the thing is, is you know, too, what they go through better than possibly anybody else. Like, you know them. And especially, you know, for, for you couples, like, you know your spouse. You've been married to them. Like, me and Ashley have been married for six and a half years, and we, we know each other. And I know for you have been married for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. You know each other. So why not let them speak wisdom into your life and let them be the vehicle, the way in which God is trying to speak a message to you? But so many times, you know, Naaman could have got completely offended over who brought the message great and honorable man. Well, I'm going to listen to other great and honorable men, but he listened to the little girl. And for us, I think the first step of healing is to not get offended over who brings the message. God can bless you with somebody you don't even like. He can. He's done it to me. He's brought words of wisdom that even have been hard because I didn't like the package it came in. And so this is where we, we have to see that our first step of healing is going to be to humble ourselves, to know that God uses the people around you. I don't know who that is or who's been trying to speak to your heart. You know, I get to give you guys, what, like a 40-minute message on Sunday morning, um, but we live with people who know us and love the Lord, and they've been trying to speak to us and pray for us, and so let them reach out to you and let them help you. And so that's what Naaman does, but I do want you to notice something a little interesting, and it's actually kind of funny. Um, if you look at verse 6, um, Naaman, like, he listens to the little girl and his wife, but he gets some details wrong. If you notice, notice in verse 6, the letter that they end up writing says, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. Last time I checked, the little girl said, there's a prophet in Israel who can heal you. And what Naaman ends up doing is he goes to the king of Syria, and the king of Syria is like, I'll take care of this letter. He sends a letter, but he says, 
that it's going to be the king who heals Naaman, not the prophet who hears who, who, who heals Naaman. I think that's interesting because usually like when a husband and wife talk, the husband gets 100% of things correct, you know? <laughs> but I think it was like 90% correct in this case. And it like propels our story into a whole nother dimension because of this mistake. If you read it in verse seven, read with me. It says, and it happened. When the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. And so like literally all the things that could have happened, they get this letter together. They just want to be healed by the prophet, but the king gets it and reads that he is the one that is supposed to heal Naaman. And instead of being like, oh, they made a mistake, wrong number kind of a thing, like he goes off. Like he's mad and he's angry and he's like, oh my God. And he like tore his clothes, like tearing your clothes. I don't know if he did this every day. And, you know, I know kings are like typically like the ones who lose their cool over anything, but like he lost his cool over this. And then he started blaming. He's like, do you see? Do you see? He's like talking to the people around him. Naaman's trying to start a quarrel with me or a fight with me. And you can see it. You know, he didn't put a smiley face in there. It's just a period. And by the way, sometimes you just need to call somebody and a text message doesn't really get the, the picture across. And sometimes we just need to have face-to-face conversations. So mistakes don't get left out. But nonetheless, the king gets upset. And I wondered, and I sat there, and I'm like, why is the king so mad? Like, I'm sure he has bigger fish to fry. Why is he so angry? And I got thinking about how the king got upset and went off because he was asked to do something that was, that he was unable to do. Have you ever gotten offended when somebody asks you to do something that's like above your pay grade? And you became really defensive over the fact that God is trying to call you into a ministry or a situation that you feel like is just completely beyond you. And I know for me, as God calls me to different things, um, you know, some things he calls me to are just straight up difficult and they seem straight up impossible. And I immediately become a professional analytic of how what God is calling me to do won't bear any fruit. And even something as simple as, hey, Luke, I, I need you to give this young man a ride. I'll start thinking, well, then I have to give him a ride the next week, and then the next week, and then the next week, and I may not have time for that. And even if I just go get him one time, how is a 30-minute message supposed to change his life, even though he goes back to friends who aren't good and parents who aren't good uh, godly influence on his life? Like, how is that going to work? How is one prayer with somebody going to benefit them? How is one just sharing the gospel with somebody in, my, in, in the best way that I could do, how is that ever going to convince them to come to Christ? And, you know, with this king, he's like tearing his clothes. He's like, my God, this is out of my league. This is above my pay grade. I just wanted to go up to the king and be like, look, it's not you. Like, this isn't meant for you. Wrong number. This was meant for God. God is going to be the one to do the healing. And for you, the Lord tells me this all the time, Luke is not going to be you. Like, I get it. It's your gas. 
It's your time. It's your mouth and your tongue. But it's going to be me who does the healing work. There's something bigger. And I limit God sometimes based off of my limitations. And God is not limited by my limitations. His, his ways are so much higher than my ways. His thoughts are, are not my thoughts. And he works above and beyond what I could even ask or what I could even think. The key is, is we just have to make ourselves available to be used by the Lord. And even just a little bit that we plant, the little bit that we sow over here, God is the one who is responsible for growing it and doing a work. And I think about how many times I've shared the gospel with a young man or a young woman in our youth who, who we've never seen again, never, ever seen. And they accepted Jesus. And there was one not too long ago where I watched and they were walking away because they walked here. And all I kept thinking is, man, they're going back to a hard family situation. They're going back to like really like bad influences at school. And they just accepted the gospel. I don't think I'm ever going to see them again. They probably just got one Bible study and that was it. But all I kept thinking is they're not alone though. You know, like Jesus goes with them. If they have Jesus in their heart, the Holy Spirit is with them. And so you are not alone in your ministry. You are not alone in the way that you reach out. And so even though, I get it, things are above our head, but I want to read this verse to you. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, Paul writes, Few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers to be foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. I think when we go to God and we say, God, I'm so powerless in this situation, he's like, perfect, because I'm powerful. And we're like, Lord, I don't, I don't even got the money for this. Perfect, because I'm not into calling those who have all the power, all the wealth, all the everything that they need so they can just crush it every single time. But don't be scared when God calls you into a situation that is above and beyond you, because you know And I'll tell you this, if he calls you into a situation that is above and beyond you, something bigger than you has to do that ministry then. And when he does do a work, you'll be able to look back and say, that wasn't me. That wasn't my bank account. That wasn't my words. Like that was the Holy Spirit that just did a work. What is above your head is beneath his feet still. And that's what we have to remember. So the king, it's okay, don't worry. But now we read about Elisha, uh, verse 8. It says, So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And so Elisha, the prophet, he hears that the king has torn his clothes. I mean, this must have been a crazy event. Um, Usually kings don't tear their clothes unless it's like the worst of the worst. So I don't know how Elisha heard it, but nonetheless, he inquires to let Naaman come to him. And so Naaman ended up going to the house of Elisha. And Elisha is the prophet of Israel who has done many, many healings by this point in time. So Naaman took his horses, his chariots, everything that he needed. And it said in verse 5 that he brought with him 10 talents of silver, 
6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. I think you should have gave one to the king, by the way. You know, like, here, change of clothing. 10 changes of clothing in case the king rips his clothes 10 times. Now, this is a lot of stuff that he's carrying. It's a ton of stuff he's carrying. And he wants to be able to present a gift that is worthy of the healing that he has yet to experience. And uh, a Bible scholar believes that this is about $1.2 million worth of gifts. And so imagine just taking that out of your bank account. That's a massive withdrawal. Going across, you know, the country with all your men, with, with your horses and your chariots, and you're going to the house of Elisha, and you're looking for healing. And one thing that Naaman was looking for healing, though, is he wanted to purchase the healing that would be given to him. He wanted to be great and honorable enough to receive the great and honorable healing that would come his way. But it doesn't happen. And if you read in verse 10, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I say to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. Naaman is furious. It's no longer just the king of Israel that went off. Naaman goes off now. And I'll tell you why. It's because Elisha didn't meet him at the door. And when you think about Elisha, you know, Elisha wasn't like an impersonal, like Wizard of Oz, you know, like behind the screen. Like he was very personal still in the way that he had just healed a boy, like hand to hand, eye to eye, raised him up, was, was very personal in his healing. And now Naaman shows up and he has like, all the gifts. He's the million dollar man. He's the person who everybody wants to meet. I'm sure people wanted his autograph. The great and honorable man is at your doorstep. And Elijah's like, eh, send the secretary, send the messenger. Like Elijah himself doesn't even walk to go meet Naaman at the door. And this made Naaman mad. Like this was not the way it was supposed to go. I traveled a long ways for this. He was supposed to come down. I'm supposed to give him the gifts. He's supposed to wave his hand. He's supposed to heal me. God bless. Be on your way. Good. And then I could go. Like, that was the way it was supposed to work. And then he started talking about, oh, the Jordan River. And by the way, the Jordan River is, for the most part, pretty muddy. And these other rivers that he was naming in Damascus, um, they're, they're crystal clear. They're really nice water. And he was talking about the water, and he's going off. And it says that he literally went away in a rage. And I wonder, okay, why did Naaman go off? Like, why was he so upset? Because the, the prophet Elisha said, healing is what you want. Healing is what you'll get. If you go to the river, the Jordan River, and you cleanse yourself seven times in it, you shall be healed. But what I think really set Naaman off was the fact that he wasn't able to just simply humble himself. He wasn't ready to, to do it the way that God wanted him to do it. And one thing about abracadabra, like, whew, is he didn't have to reveal anything 
for that to happen. Like he could have stayed hidden, he could have covered up, and zap, he would be healed. But I think about, you know, a cleansing ceremony, like you can't go into the waters with full armor. Like you have to clean yourself, which means that in certain ways you're exposed. In certain ways you have to let other people see your dysfunctions and where you sin and your failure and your hurt and it, it's hard. I'm not saying like go plaster on social media. Definitely don't do that. But what I'm saying is we have, you know, people in our lives who we can trust. We have pastors, we have family members who love us. And to start there, start, talk, have a conversation. You know, I, I've, been, I've been struggling and I need prayer. And a lot of times God, he wants us to take that step of faith a step of faith just to reach out and ask for prayer, for ask for support. I think one of the biggest lies that actually we can believe as a church is that everybody else in this room has a picture-perfect Instagram filter-worthy life, and you're the only one with some something that needs healing. You're the only one with hurt. You're the only one actually struggling as you come here. And like, I mean, I will tell you, I'll be first in line to tell you, like, I have my hurts and I have my people, like my dad, I can go to and talk about this stuff and I can receive healing. Um, And so pray about who that is in your life, because for Naaman, like he wasn't ready for that yet. And that's a big reason why he went off. And so he had an expectation of what that healing was supposed to look like. He had the time, he had the date, he had the exact way that he thought it was supposed to look like. But again, the way in which God works is so much different. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And the way that God wants to work may be different than the way you think he should work. And so this is what happened in verse 13. It says, and a servant came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. Put yourself in the shoes of one of Naaman's servants. Naaman just went off in a rage. I don't know if you've experienced somebody going off in a rage and you all hop in the family car and it's just quiet. And it's like the stress level is pretty high, you know? And, and, it's just, you don't ask to use the bathroom. You don't ask where we're going to eat. It's just, it's tense. And thank goodness for the servant who said what everybody else was thinking. And he ended up saying, you know, Naaman, like we're carrying everything back. We've been rejected. We're mad. And, and Naaman was at the point where he was ready to actually go back with all of his gifts and his status but would die because of his disease. He was ready to make that choice. And one of the servants just said, you know, Naaman, like if he would have said, do something great, you know, like if the prophet would have said, hey, I need you to go kill 300 enemy soldiers and then you'll be healed. Or hey, I need you to climb this mountain and then you'll be healed. Or I I need you to sail the seven seas and and then you can be healed. I think Naaman, the great and honorable Naaman would have been like, Okay, yeah, that, that sounds like a challenge. 
um, that seems acceptable, a great and honorable task for a great and honorable man like me who needed a great and honorable healing. But everything about this healing was so much different because Elisha didn't even come to the door. Elisha didn't even greet him. It was just go and wash in the river seven times and you will be healed. And my thought is like, come on, Naaman, it's easy. Like you can bust that out in like 30 seconds, seven dunks. But it was more to it than just that. Naaman had to accept that the way that he was going to receive healing wasn't going to be by his great and honorable name. It wasn't going to be by his gifts. It wasn't going to be by his accolades. But he was going to have to reveal his dysfunctions, go to the place of healing, even though it was a little bit messy and a little bit muddy. And he was going to have to humble himself before the Lord to receive the healing. I'm telling you, like, it's easy to have that expectation of how God is supposed to heal us. And we can even make demands all the time. Lord, you're supposed to heal me in this way. God, when I got married, you were supposed to heal me on that day. Lord, you were supposed to bring that person into my life to, to heal me, but, but you didn't. There was, there was more hurt. And for us to entrust this process that, that God is, is trying to bring us through, because God, you can trust him. Like, you can trust his timing. You can trust his goodness. You can trust coming to the cross and giving him your burdens. And, and the two things that'll make us just storm out in a rage oftentimes is when we feel like what we're facing is above us. Like, how am I supposed to forgive somebody who hurt me? Or how am I supposed to be a dad when I, when I never really had, you know, that example in my life? How am I supposed to step into this situation and the Lord is like, trust me. Like, I'll, I'll walk you through it. I'll walk with you through it. I'll strengthen you by my spirit. But then there are some things that just seem below us. Like forgiveness is, is one of the hardest things, but forgiveness brings so much healing. If you've been hurt by somebody, I really do believe that the, the only way to experience that healing is by truly forgiving them the way that you've been forgiven by Christ. Because when Christ was dying on the cross, he didn't say that, you know, it's contingent on, on you in your works, and in your self-perfection, but he died for you even while you were still a sinner, breaking his heart. And Jesus died for the people who were killing him in the moment. And he says, you know, the only way that you're going to experience that close relationship with them and that healing in your heart is you have to forgive. But forgiveness seems beneath us sometimes because they were the ones who hurt us and they were the ones who stole that thing from us. And and, and we were in the right. And we make up every single excuse and every single reason. And really, even though, you know, we don't tear our clothes like we like our clothes. But even though we don't go to that measure, it's still there in our heart. We're raging in our heart because of the hurt that we've experienced. And so this is where Naaman, he goes to the river to be healed. And it's a representation of realizing that if he wants... Like, it's no good going back home with shiny armor but a dying heart. No purpose in that. But he's going to go to the place where there needs to be healing, where that he know he could be healed. And this is where I get so excited because I get to read to you verse 14 through 16. And it's powerful because this is the healing. This is the healing of Naaman. And these are the last three verses that we get to read this morning. It says, uh, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Something in Naaman's heart knew that healing was going to be found in these waters, not the waters that he's been trying to use, not in anything back home. But he knew that there was a different water that he needed to step into. He knew that he needed to step into it in order for it to cleanse him. And so he went to the muddy waters of the Jordan River. He humbled himself. He went through that cleansing process, which would have taken time. And I don't know exactly what that healing process was for him because it could have been dunk number one healed a little bit oh good this is working dunk number two heals a little bit more dunk number three heals a little bit more and that's the kind of faith that just like steamrolls into you just keep on sharing keep on praying keep on reaching out and you love i love it when that happens and i love seeing progress in people i love seeing progress in my own heart especially with hurt but i don't know if you guys have experienced this where for naming it could have been this dunk number one nothing dunk number two nothing dunk number three nothing four nothing five this is a scam six absolutely nothing and what if he would have stopped on the sixth what if he would have said i'm done praying i've prayed i've been praying for years what if he would have stopped on the sixth they aren't listening to me i know i'm sharing the gospel but how is this making any difference you stop on the sixth talking to your teens i i get it it's it's hard and and they won't listen to you in ways but i don't know they might be listening more than what you think don't stop on the 6th. And I would love if I could tell you guys that all of you guys are on the 6th. Like just go one more week, one more month, one more season, one more school year. I don't know. You might be on like the second one. I don't know. But God knows the time of your healing and he knows the process in which you will be healed. But the key is to not put it in a box. The key is to keep coming to him and pray. And one of the verses that God just has on replay in my heart over and over is Galatians 6:9. It says, "Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up." And I'm telling you, we don't know when the right time is. We don't know. Sometimes it's years, sometimes it's today. We don't know what even a blessing could look like. Sometimes we picture it as money and health, but maybe God has beyond blessings, blessings that are way beyond money and health. But the key is is that you can't give up. You have to keep the faith. And I I can make this promise if if you've placed your faith in Jesus, like that healing, that healing when we go to heaven and those leaves that heal the nations because we're a hurting nation and we are we are also people who hurt a lot too. There is healing in him. And there will one day be no sorrow, no crying, no remembrance of the things of old. But God has healing for you today. Keep praying. Never give up. And if you're praying for the healing of another person or the salvation of another person, never, never, ever stop on the sixth because it's way above your head. 
it's it's way beyond like why would God ever use you to share the gospel you hardly know three Bible verses but he can use you and don't don't limit what God can do because of your own limitations or what you think are limitations and this is where God wants to do above and beyond work and the thing is is when we come to the cross when we come to salvation like that's a healing that can't take place today if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior he forgives you he died for you on a cross and you can't buy it like Naaman tried to buy his healing and in a way he he went back after being healed with his gifts and he said Elisha take it take it and Elisha was like no I cannot take those gifts because you cannot purchase salvation you can't come to God as such a great and honorable person enough to heal the disease that is on the inside of you it is by grace that you are saved and I know for me if I were there I'd be like no 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 no. okay fine I'll take the gifts but God is not like that Christ isn't going to let you do that He's like, it's going to be free. And it's going to be free because I loved you. And you can never repay me anyway. Like, that's the God who we get to come to. And that's the God we get to serve. Oh, one more thing. He will meet you at the door, by the way. He will. Jesus will meet you at the door. He won't send somebody else. He will meet you at the door. He'll even go eye to eye with you. He'll go, he'll go hand to hand with you. He will. He'll meet you where you're at. It's an amazing and incredible God that we get to serve because he knows you the best out of anybody. You know, your spouse knows you, like my wife knows me pretty well. But Jesus, he knows me inside and out. And he knows all my sin. He knows all my dysfunction. He knows where I fail. He knows where I'm going to fail tomorrow, on Monday morning, in traffic, you name it. Like he knows it. And he knows me so well to the point where he he took those upon himself when he went to the cross and he died. And what a beautiful thing he did that we don't have to go to the grave and that's not our place. How wonderful, how beautiful is this work of Jesus shedding his blood for me. It is for you, like it is for you. And so let's stand because we have a greater hope awaiting for us. And the greater hope is that um, if you are saved by Jesus, like we get to look forward to this healing that takes place on earth and then the ultimate healing that takes place in heaven. I would love um, I would love it if somebody came here today and you have your Sunday best on your armor on. My prayer is that if you've never accepted Jesus, you don't go home with a flashy lifestyle and a dying heart. My prayer is that you go home with joy, something deeper underneath. Because you can try and rebuild on the surface, but the, the disease is still there. So pray with me. Lord, I just pray for those who are just super hurting and those who are in need of you. Jesus, I pray for those who have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, that they would accept you for the first time. That this is an eye-opener that, Lord, um, maybe they thought that they could uh, become saved in a little bit different way than going to a cross. A cross that is bloody, a cross that represents death, a cross that is gruesome, a cross where your son died for us. Let us go to those waters, Lord. So if anybody hasn't accepted you, that they would walk through this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that you forgive me of my sins. I can't buy it. I take off the armor to show you that I'm a sinful person. Forgive me. 
believe that you are fully God. I believe that you died and rose again. And I thank you for living inside of my heart. I thank you that we look forward to heaven. Lord, I just thank you for anybody who walked that prayer with with me and made that decision for the first time. I also pray for anybody else who is hurting in even unimaginable ways, impossible ways, Lord, and they just need your strength. They need your Holy Spirit. I pray for those who are being called in a direction where they feel like it is way above them and how could God ever use them, but Lord, that they would just surrender themselves even as powerless and as weak as they are, that it would be a testimony of your strength and of your goodness and of your faithfulness. God, thank you so much for doing this work. In your name we pray.